Take your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 will end our journey through Matthew. And it has been a blessing for me to get to teach about Jesus, his words, his, his actions by Matthew, who was probably the most eloquent writer of the Gospels. And it has been a blessing. In Matthew 10, we see Jesus is putting the people that he's trained to work. He's sending the disciples, sending the disciples out. In Matthew 10, we'll read through verses 1 through 8. And it said, he called him. And he called to him the twelve and gave them authority over unclean spirits and cast them out to heal every disease and affliction. Switch it, Jonathan. I'm reading off you today. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, Alphaeus, uh, Simon, and uh, Judas, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without payment. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word and examine this part, I ask that you would speak to us in the commissioning of the 12 and how this applies to us in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, these 12 guys were called to pray. Jesus said, pray that, that the Father who owns these harvests will send workers into them because the harvest is ripe and plentiful and surely there must be some workers to harvest this great harvest. And last week, Jesus told these 12 to pray. Since they've been praying for a little bit, now Jesus says, thank you for praying, it's time to go. Thank you because now your hearts are right and, and they were... This week, they become the workers. They're believers that praise for workers. I encouraged you last week to pray for the harvest. You know, that'll come of one of two things. Either you'll become a great prayer warrior that prays for the harvest and helps to, helps to uh, people to go out into the harvest and pray for them, or you're going to find out that God has given you a heart to go yourself because to pray and be unwilling to go is a little bit hypocritical. All right, to pray should be the expectation that God will lead me where we want to, where He wants me to go. And this great passage here, this transition, is called the bridge. All right, and we talked about this a little bit last week. This is the bridge in Matthew, and Jesus has, up to this point, Jesus has been ministering alone. All right, every work in Matthew up to this point has been Jesus's. He has he has healed the, healed the sick. He has, lame, he has walked the lame. He has heard the deaf. He's, he's given. We don't know the thousands of miracles that Jesus touched. I can find where very, very hardly at all did Jesus turn anybody away. The thousands of miracles that Jesus done is more than we could even account for. It would actually, if we had them written down, we'd actually get bored reading them because it would be so redundant that Jesus healed, Jesus healed, Jesus healed, Jesus healed. And it would be a chapter and book of what Jesus has done. But up to this point, the disciples have been watching, tagging along, marveling, consuming the food, uh, hanging out with Jesus, trying to get it straight, understanding very little. Jesus is teaching them, mostly, 
he's teaching them first and then the crowds and then the people and Jesus is teaching and sometimes he would teach these disciples and he would tell a proverb, he would tell a parable and he'd look at the boys and he goes, you guys get that? And they're like, yeah, got it, Lord. And it's like, you knew they had no clue of what Jesus was talking about because sometimes they came back to him and said, what were you talking about? And Jesus would explain it to him, but he didn't explain every parable to them because he knew that they might not understand the application of the parable today. But in that day that was coming for them, they would always remember that story. They would always remember that parable of Jesus that he taught them. And when it was practical to their lives, they'd remember that story. And Jesus knew he was giving them illustrations that they couldn't forget. There was no way, and it would become so applicable to them. But at this point, the, the disciples didn't understand the parables. They certainly didn't understand the principles that Jesus was teaching about the kingdom and about his lordship and about his ultimate demise. They didn't understand the principles and they definitely didn't understand all these people. The people were just, were just everywhere. And Jesus had gotten the boys used to being around hundreds and thousands of people. And these four fishermen, I don't know if you can imagine the life of a fisherman. It's not quite as as singular as the life of a truck driver, but pretty much we see that, that the boys were in fishing boats with their family or their best friends, and it was kind of a controlled atmosphere of, it's, it's pretty quiet. It's pretty solitude. We see that sometimes Peter went out into the boat by himself. Right, it's solitude, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by thousands of people, and they had seen Jesus do his work thousands of times in the years in the years prior to this and they're them going and camping and traveling and being transient pretty much between locations with Jesus they watched Jesus operate so much so that they knew what to do I remember my first baptism that I did as a pastor um, it's it's the baptism is the greatest thing a pastor gets to do in this building all right they stand up here with people and and baptize them and see the Newness of their life is amazing. But the first time that I baptized somebody in a church, I didn't think about what I was going to say until my feet were wet. And I thought, well, maybe I should have planned this. But I had, I had watched my pastor baptize hundreds of people. And, and instantly, when we got there, I just said what he said. Verbatim. Exactly. I didn't even, I had like the time that your, he, your feet get wet until your belly button gets wet. That's how much time I had to think about it. And it, I had been shown. And, and my pastor at that time, they'd been my pastor for many years, never was specifically showing, he never said, Doug, watch this. All right, in the congregation, pay attention to this. He never did. But in that time came, I knew exactly what to say. And now the disciples are at that point to where they have watched Jesus do this so many times that they know what to do. But they're going to get their feet wet now. And Jesus said, today, you're going from being my disciples to my apostles. There is a delineation between apostles and everybody else. All right, this ushers in the apostolic age, and the apostles are given authority over demons, diseases, and afflictions. Everyone, not everyone. There were some people that followed Jesus as well as these 12. All right, we know that very soon we'll see that there's 70 
that Jesus will commission to go out. There's a great difference between 12 and 70. So there's other people that are following Jesus at this point that are not being called as apostles. All those beautiful women, all those lovely women, you know, most of the women facilitated Jesus' ministry. These boys that consumed 12 meals three times a day was financed mostly by women that were in the ministry. None of the women were called to be apostles. Why is that? Because honestly, women do stuff so much better than men. I mean, if I was forming a team, I'd probably pick girls because they get more done, they're more focused, they, they actually have less drama. You, can't, you would think it's not, but men are drama. Oh my gosh. You know, and you would think, so why did Jesus pick just the men? Why didn't he pick some of these women? Because God is always faithful to his word and his character. And in the beginning, God said, the husband is the head of the family and Christ is the head of the church. And while that responsibility, obviously, God does a magnificent things through the dumbest guys. I'm proof. The apostles are proof. God picks men that are inept on their own, and he will do great things through him. And why didn't he pick some of those? He didn't pick any of the scribes or Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were certainly qualified. They had all the right doctorates. They had all the right degrees. They were certainly qualified, but they were all skeptical. Most of them were skeptical. And they didn't get picked. Not, and there were some rich people that were following Jesus around that were facilitating his ministry. And none of them got picked. Only these 12, scripturally, understand me, only these 12 are given this power and this authority over demons and sickness and disease. And it begins the apostolic age. And that great apostolic age where these 12 guys walked around on earth and this apostolic age would go until A.D. 99 at the death of John. John the Baptist was the last living apostle. Now, the word apostle is a messenger, all right? With a little a, all right, we can all be messengers. And if, in the right language, we could say, he's an apostle. He's, he's doing the work of an apostle, all right, as a messenger. But apostle with a capital A is one who is signified, called out, and commissioned personally by Jesus. I have not been there. I'm not that. I'm a messenger, perhaps, of the word of God. You are messengers of the word of God. In, in the small case A, we are all little apostles running around sharing the word of God. But in the large uppercase A, these 12 are the ones that, God, that Jesus commissioned to share his word next. This is the next step. And the apostles were the ones that were committed Jesus knew they were in, no matter how weird it sounded. All right, in John 6, we see that Jesus is teaching about him being the bread of life. And if you come to me, you will no longer, anyone who, who eats the bread that I give will never be hungry again. Anyone who has the water that I give will never be thirsty again. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he goes on one step further than that. He says, unless you consume my body and, and pick a part of my blood, you can't be a part of the kingdom. And people freaked. What? You want me to eat Jesus? No. They thought he was talking about cannibalism. And that day, John 6 tells us that most of the people bailed. It was too much for them. They'd just been fed by Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000 is right before that. 5,000 people, boys and girls, 25,000 people had just been fed by Jesus. Now, can you imagine what it must have been like to be fed by Jesus? 
Gary, uh, our elder Gary has a ability to do pulled pork. And when he does that pulled pork, it's about, uh, you know, you, you consume about two pounds of it until you got like a meat baby hanging right here. Oh, and it hurts just a little bit. And it's so good. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And, and I could eat it and eat it. Okay, and, and that's just Gary, right? He's pretty good barbecue. Does he barbecue that? It smokes it, all right? It's like of all the things people are smoking these days, barbecue is what it goes for, man. I vote for smoking. Imagine having a meal prepared by Jesus. Imagine how good that was. We, we don't ever think about how good could Jesus make a meal? Talk about, talk about like two hours later being fat, dumb, and happy. That's where we were. Oh my goodness, that was so good. I only have room for one more bite of that fish. All right, two. All right, it's like you'd be dying. It was so good. And these people feasted and they partied with Jesus and they ate that fantastic meal that was prepared for them by Christ. And when Jesus started to teach about his death and his resurrection, it was too much for them. And the food was gone. And now the theology started and about 98% of them split. The only ones that were left was the disciples. Maybe part of the 70, but a handful from 5,000. And Jesus knew what they were, and, and it turns out, a couple of things that we see from that. Number one, Jesus knew who was in and who was out. Because in John 6, it tells us that Jesus knew that Judas was the devil. If you have any questions about, I wonder if Judas was Jesus loved him and said, did Judas go to heaven? Uh, read John 6 and make up your mind for yourself. But Jesus calls him one that he knew didn't believe and was a devil. All right, if Jesus says he didn't believe and he was a devil, I don't think there's room for him in heaven. All right, but Jesus knew and he began to teach about having to take his body and take his blood. And it wasn't about eating Jesus. It was a symbolic lesson, but the disciples were arguing about it. I don't know whether that's how it's not. It's not that they didn't believe, but they couldn't process what Jesus was saying. How do we process that? What? What is he talking about? And Jesus knew what they were talking about. And he came and he asked Peter, what do you think about that? Are you going to bail too? And Peter said, Lord, we don't have anywhere else to go. And you are God's holy one. And Jesus said, good answer, Pete. That's a good answer. And they were the ones that were committed. When the others split, they stayed and worked it out. And they were committed to that. And these 12 people, these 12 men of God, would change the world. There's an old story of Jesus after, after his ascension that he went back to heaven. He's having a conversation with the angel Gabriel. This is a story, of course. It's not biblical. That Jesus and Gabriel are are having a talk, and Gabriel said, Lord, that was a great work. How, did you accomplish your mission? And Jesus said, yes. And Gabriel said, that work of salvation on the cross, that must have been painful. And Jesus said, yes. And Gabriel said, and those 12 guys that you left in charge, are, are they going to make it? I, I mean, what happens when they get distracted, or they get afraid, or they lose their courage, or they lose their way? And Jesus said, they'll make it because they have to. It's all up to them. There's no plan B, Gabriel. These 12 guys are going to share the word or it's going to die. It won't go any further. And part of these 12 guys, we'll look at it for just a second, is Simon Peter. Simon Peter, all of the Gospels, the one, thing that's in, one of the things that's in all four Gospels is a list of these 12 guys. And Peter is always first. Peter is the leader of this group. 
He's their natural leader. And Christ spent more time with Peter than any of the other apostles. Peter's mentioned more in the New Testament, only second to Jesus. And Peter is a little bit violent. He's a little bit volatile. He has a short fuse. It's always funny when, as a pastor, people go, you're just like Peter. It's like, I've never cut a guy's ear off. I, I've thought about it. All right, but Peter actually did it. All right, there's a great difference to think about doing it and to actually do it. All right, and in that passion moment in the garden, when Peter was, when Jesus was threatened, Peter was willing to pull out a sword and cut off a non-player's ear. It's like Peter was a little bit volatile, but Peter showed a great deal of initiative. He was the one that could get the glove going. All right, Peter was the one that could get the rest of the twelve moving. Peter's always in the middle of the activity. Peter was the first one to proclaim Jesus as Lord. He was the first one in John 6. He said, you are the Holy One of God. He was the first one to proclaim. He was also the first one to deny Jesus. He was the first one to repent. And Peter is the great apostle that is the leader of them. His brother Andrew is actually the leader of the second group. There's, there's generally four groups of three of these apostles. All right, we know that here Jesus sent them out two by two, and this way that it's pointed out, you can see first Simon and Andrew, and then James and John, and when we go to the next slide, you'll see two by two by two by two. That's probably, possibly, the two by two by two that they went with. All right, but normally in the, in the package of the apostles, there's four groups of three, and Peter, is, Peter, James, and John are the ones that's talked about the most in the New Testament. But Andrew was probably the leader of the second group that we don't talk, hear talked about quite as much, but was just as important. And in any organization, there's a flow chart of leadership. And the ones that are in the fourth group were no less important to Jesus than the ones in the first group. But there is an inner circle that Jesus had, an inner circle. And Andrew, Peter's little brother, was, was the leader of the second group of these. He brought people to Jesus. What is Andrew famous for? We don't know as much about him as we do, Peter, but Andrew brought people to Jesus. What a great thing to do, huh? He brought his brother. He brought his brother to Jesus. Peter, you got to come see Jesus. All right, the chances are really, really good that they already knew Jesus. All right, remember, Jesus is James and John's cousin, all right? Zebedee is married to Mary's sister, all right? Probably. All right, that's, I don't, can't back that on scripture, but from first and second century historians, we have a pretty good case that Jesus was cousins with James and John. So he knew Hebrew families in the first century got together a lot. I'm sure he knew his cousins. And James and John fished with Peter and Andrew. So there's a good chance that Andrew was bringing Peter to see Jesus in a different light than Peter had ever seen him before. But we know that Andrew brought Peter to Jesus and from that day, it changed Peter's life. We know in the feeding of the 5,000 that we just talked about, the disciples said, all these people are starving. They've been here for a day and a half, and we got nothing to feed them, Jesus. Send them home. And Jesus said, you feed them. And they started checking their pockets, and they didn't have enough for a burrito at 7-Eleven. And, and, and they said, we don't know what to do. And Andrew said... I got uh, five fish and two loaves right here, a little sack of lunch from this kid. Jesus will do something with it. Andrew brought that little bag to Jesus and said, do something with this, Jesus. I know you can. If Andrew didn't believe that Jesus could do something with that, he would have consumed it himself or maybe given it back to the kid. In any event, Andrew's faith of bringing that to Jesus 
changed everything, didn't it? One of the most famous stories we have in the New Testament is the feeding of the 5,000. It was Andrew that brought that. We see in John 12 that, that there was God-fearing, God-fearing Greeks or Gentiles that were following Jesus, and they loved the Lord. They loved Yahweh. They followed the laws of, of Israel, and they were God-fearing Gentiles. And they went to Philip, and they said, Hey, Phil, we'd love to meet Jesus. Can you take us to him? And Phil freaked. It's like, take you to Jesus? I'll take you to Andrew. And Philip took the God-fearing Gentiles to Andrew, and Andrew brought them to Jesus. Andrew was crucified in Turkey on what we call a St. Andrew's cross, an X-cross, because he didn't feel that he was worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. What is little known, what is tradition is Andrew was not nailed to that cross, he was roped and lashed to that cross, and for three days that it took him to expire, he preached the word to everyone that would listen with his last breath, with his dying breath. It was Jesus. Peter, according to Eusebius, a first century historian, witnessed the crucifixion of his wife. I know when, you watch the, when we watch uh, um, The Chosen, and we see... It's always nice to the chosen because Peter is cut and athletic, all right? I love that. He's young and cut. He's got, like, muscles and stuff, and Eden is beautiful. She's like, and so Peter and Eden are the spokesmodel of the spokesmodels of the chosen. And when we watch that, you fall in love with Eden. And she is a fictitious character because we don't even know that her name is Eden. But I, she's one of my favorite characters. And I read this, and it's like Peter said at the foot of her cross while she was being crucified for her faith, this, this is legend, and said, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord, baby. Remember the Lord. And when she had breathed her last, they took Peter and crucified him. And he too said, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. I'll take the upside down method. And Peter and Andrew were both crucified for their faith. Peter's last words in 2 Peter He said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. What a way to sum up a life, huh? To sum up a life of an apostle that all he wanted to do was grow in grace and honor Jesus with his life. James and John. James, the son of Zebedee. James is the most upfront leader in the early church. From the time that Stephen was killed in the book of Acts, we see that Stephen was martyred by, by Saul of Tarsus, or the apostle Paul, soon to become. Stephen has martyred him for 10 years. There's a respite. Not that there's a lack of persecution, but there's a lack of martyrdom. No one's, no one's getting killed. And 10 years, for 10 years, James led that early church because Peter might have been the leader of the 12, but most people that were off the street... I mean, here's the thing. The apostles had some history with Pete. Okay, they'd travel around with Jesus. They had grown to love him. You know how it is in a small circle where you have a leader that is, is a little obnoxious, but you know that he's a good leader. And, and in this small circle, it works for us. But don't let him go out front. All right, Peter was the guy that we kept in the back room. He's, he's back there making apostle decisions. Up front, we're going to put James up here because James loves people. And James gets people, and James is a good upfront person. People like James, and James became the leader of the early church until Herod was threatened by that early church. And in AD 44, 
James was beheaded by Herod in Jerusalem, and he became the first martyr of those apostles. John is the author of five New Testament books. It's called The Apostle of Love. Most of his, most of his writings are about the love of Christ. I think he really got it. I think that he lived his life thinking about the, knowing the love of Christ and how that affected him. Remember, I know that we see the picture of Leonardo's The Last Supper, and it's a bunch of old bearded guys, and, and they're sitting there with Jesus, and Jesus is the youngest at the table. Let me tell you that Leonardo's picture is great, but it's entirely backwards, because at that table, Jesus was definitely the oldest one. And John could have been, a, John not could have been, John was a teenager, all right, a youngin, not, not old enough to know what was going on, but in Hebrews tradition, old enough to become a student of a rabbi. And John was young because John would live until AD 99. And he would write those great books about the love of Christ, and he lived a whole lifetime about it. John was more than likely the obvious compiler of the New Testament. How do we get these books in the New Testament? Well, John knew them all. Even the works of Paul and Peter, John was indeed the one that they would submit it to for accuracy. John spent his life doing the word of God, and John became one of the beloved disciples. These four fishermen and the group of eight others would change the world. They'd become the most powerful tools in the master's hand, but they were just regular humans willing to follow Christ. Philip and Bartholomew... Thomas and Matthew, James and John, or James and, uh, James and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Even Judas, at this point, well, Jesus knew. If you have any doubt about Judas, read John 6. Jesus knew that he would betray him. Jesus knew he wasn't all in. But yet, Jesus gave him authority and power too. I don't know why. Why would you do that? You know this guy's going to betray you. That is definitely the love of Christ, isn't it? to treat him fairly and with love in hopes that he might repent and follow Christ, even though Jesus knew he wasn't going to do it. Each of these would become great. If you want to read their stories, Fox's Book of Martyrs is in the public domain. You can Google it. It is a wonderful read. There's some more in-depth stuff. Jesus Freaks by DC Talk is a little more modern. John Fox is 16th century. Uh, DC Talk, Jesus Freaks is a more modern concept of it, but it's still the same. I'd recommend that part of your history study of the New Testament is to take these and read them. We should know about these guys. These 12, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. This is a temporary objective. All right, Jesus knows that this is their first foray into ministry. All right, this isn't, Jesus didn't send them out and say, do this until you're dead. All right, Jesus sent them out for a prescribed amount of time to go to a prescribed place, to do a prescribed thing, a focused ministry is a manageable ministry. We have to realize that none of us are going to reach everyone. We need to be focused with our intention. Whom are we ministering to 
And what are we doing about it? What is our focus? What's our focus and intention in ministry? Your passion. Who, which people group is your passion? Some folks go overseas. Some folks go across country. Some folks go into ministry. Some people just want to see their kids come to Christ. Some people just want to see their neighbors come to Jesus. Some of us have a passion that that, that guy that I work with needs Jesus. Oh my gosh. If he would just accept Christ, he would surely have a direction in his life. Who is your passion? We have to decide. If you're just walking around thinking you're God's gift to everyone, you are entirely unfocused. You're a specific gift to somebody. And we're called to share the gospel with who we are focused on. Your group, your people, the people that you love. Why did Jesus send these guys to the Jews? Because Jesus knew the Jews. And if they'd have went to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles, the Samaritans and the Gentiles were ready for the gospel. They were ready. But can you imagine, knowing a little first history, can you imagine if the Samaritans and the Gentiles would have accepted Jesus, the Jews would have rejected him out of spite. Jesus is focused and intentional. Go to the Jews first. Because all these Gentiles, these Gentiles and Samaritans are going to come to Jesus. They are going to have faith. But the Jews first, because they're the ones that know the most. Plus, plus these guys are rookies. Jesus sent them out to their own people. It wasn't racial. All right, Jesus sent them to their own race, to their own ethnic people, because that was like Jesus throwing them a high fat one. All right, they could hit this pitch. They knew these people. It's not racial because if you read foxes, you'll see that every one of these guys, with the exception of two of them, would be martyred in a foreign country. Somewhere else, as missionaries, they would go to different races and different ethnicities. They would have different cultures that they were ministering to. And the gospel was never about racial issues. Jesus here was getting the disciples' feet wet so they kind of knew what to expect. And he gave them a clear message. It's important in ministry that we have a clear message. Jesus said, preach the kingdom. That's us. Preach the kingdom. Preach Jesus. Some of the best gospel conversations have been lost by too much detail. You ever start sharing the, sharing the gospel with somebody and then it turns into uh, cooking or your dogs? You get sidetracked. Right? And it's like, wait a minute, I thought we, we were almost at the cross. I almost shared the gospel with this person. Listen, if you don't get to the cross of Christ, you haven't shared the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sin. So if you talk about Noah and creation and Abraham and you talk about anything except getting to the cross, you have not had a gospel conversation. We are sharing with our people that Christ died for our sin and he rose again so that we may have life, not just abundantly, but eternally. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, that's it. And they had a focused message. Jesus said, tell people about the kingdom. Keep it simple, Christian. Know the word and use few. That's good advice, I think. They had proper credentials. Remember, at this point, nobody knew about this, where they were going. They may have heard something, but they didn't know about any of these things. So Jesus needed to give them credentials. You're going to heal the sick and cleanse lepers and raise the dead and cast out demons. Jesus was giving them credentials. When people seen this, when people, seen, when, when people saw that, when, 
When people saw, that is weird how that works. When people who had never seen this, ah, that's it, I know what I'm talking about. When people who had never seen this saw these disciples doing these wonders, it would add credibility to their message. And people would believe that there was something special about this. That was their credentials. Church, what is our credential? That's right, brother, God's word. They didn't have God, they, at that time, Oscar and I were talking about it this morning. At that time, they didn't have a Bible in their phone. They didn't have a Bible that fit on their desk. They didn't have a Bible that fit in their pocket. All right? In order for them to hear the word of God, they had to go to, to church or synagogue, and it was on scrolls. And these great scrolls would roll out, and, and, and they would teach a section at a time, and it read backwards. All right? And it was weird. It was in Hebrew, and they had the word of God, but they didn't have it with them. And when these guys are going out, if you continue to read this passage, you'll see that Jesus sent them out without any clothes. All right, read chapter 10 this week, finish it up. Jesus sent them out and said, don't take any uh, spare undies. All right, don't take another pair of sneakers. Don't take a stick. Oh, don't take your Chase Platinum card. Leave it at home. Don't take your car, you're walking. Don't take an extra pair of shoes. Don't take nothing. Rely on me in faith and I will supply everything that you need. Their credential was going to come from the works that they have, but our credential is God's word. We have it compiled. And the apostles' power was given to them by God, and they were not to profit from it. You can imagine with this power, with this great power from God, that they could have made a lot of dough. Raising my, my Peter, Peter, my, my daughter is dead. Oh, 50 bucks. I'll take care of that, right? Uh, uh, resurrection, 50 bucks. Leprosy cleanse, 45, right? L walking the lame, 60 bucks, all right? I mean, it could have been dangerous, right? And Jesus said, don't take anything but sustenance. If somebody feeds you, bless them. If somebody doesn't feed you and treats you bad, take your blessing back. Dust your feet off and head down the road. Don't take it with you. You profit nothing from this. Christians, we cannot have an agenda to share Christ. We can't have an agenda to grow a church. You know, there's so many churches in America right now that have an agenda to put bodies in chairs. And they'll say anything to attract people. You know what attracts people really to church? I think the word of God. If we preach it, if we teach it, if we live it, people will come to church that are really interested in that instead of looking for a good time. They were given freely and they trusted God and they walked by faith. Application. How does that matter to me? These 12 guys are dead and gone. They're long gone. I want you to know that every one of these guys, with possibly the exception of maybe a few others, but if we could trace our spiritual lineage back to the person that led us to Christ, to the person that led them to Christ, to the person that led them to Christ, and back and back and back, that every one of us has come to Christ because of one of these 12. They are our spiritual ancestors. They're the ones that started the message going around, the good news of Jesus Christ. And yes, Mary and Martha shared the gospel, and Luke and Mark, and some others, and praise God for those. But I want to encourage you that the majority of what we believe now comes from the root of the obedience of these 12. They changed the world with what they know. They changed the world with their message. I want to tell you that 
Today, it is possible for you to change your world with the same message. You don't need to go to Turkey. If you're called to go to Turkey or India or Bangladesh or somewhere else, Haiti, Brazil, wherever you're called to, go. But most of us are called just to affect the world that we live in. And the gospel that changed the world in the first century by these 12 is the same gospel that changes your world in the 21st century by sharing it with your people. It makes a difference. And we'll notice that just like these apostles that went to their people and shared the gospel and came back and did it again and came back and did it again, and pretty soon they were ready to go to the entire known world and die for what they shared for. Just like you, if you start sharing the gospel with your people, the people that you love, and share with them, and then go to Jesus and pray for them, and share with them, and then go to Jesus and pray for them. I, I wondered about my family. I, I have a couple of people in my family that are rejecting Christ. And I thought, I need to be really strategic and tactical about the way that I share the gospel with them because, because they really are, are it's like, dad's going to share talk about Jesus. And it's like, and I tried to be tactical and discreet and sneaky and get the gospel in when I could. All right, at Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about what are we really thankful for? The cross! I'm thankful for that! And I've decided that that technique is not working. <laughs> and so I'm praying for them that I would have wisdom to share the gospel every until it annoys them so much they get saved. Because I'm already, <laughs> I guess you know it's, one, it's my kids, a couple of them. I'm already their dad, so I'm already annoying to them. I don't have to worry about annoying them because I stay annoyed. They stay annoyed at me. It saves time. They don't have to get annoyed at me. So if I'm already annoying to them, I might as well tell them about Jesus. Right? Because out of those people on earth, they're the ones that I long for the most. And as I pray for them and share with them, I'll get used to sharing the gospel with my people, and pretty soon I'll be sharing them with a bigger circle of people with a bigger circle that needs to hear Jesus. And pretty soon, I might be willing to share the gospel anywhere. I've used an excuse for years that I wish I knew how to share the gospel in line for Stater Brothers. All right, because how do you do that? You only got six minutes, and you don't want to hold up the line, right? And, and what are you going to say to that person? I don't know, but share. Peter and John were following Jesus into the temple and, and the, leper said, or, or the, the lame man said, got any alms? I mean, there was a line of people behind him waiting to get in. And they said, I don't have any money, but what I have is better than that. What do you say to that? I hope for that. 2,000 years of changed lives is proof of correction. We walk and share by, and live by faith. We walk and share by faith. How are you going to get it done? It's up to God. He's going to enable it. He's going to open doors. If there's application we take from this, it's having the faith to follow Jesus. But there comes a day following Jesus where we have to go also. You can't follow forever and not become a disciple. And disciples will pass on the message. It's okay to learn. It's okay to take this time in church. And come to Bible study and go to one of our home groups 
and take time to learn about Jesus. And because you do need to know the basics. We need to have some practice. A little practice wouldn't hurt. I always say we should share the gospel with each other. All right? I, I should try and win Carrie to Jesus. All right? And, and you should pretend like you don't want to. All right? Because it's no fun if you don't want to. I, I, I served in, as a pastor in any inner city ministry for 10 years. And it was tough. It was tough ministry. And, and, and some of my people, and you, you can take this good or bad, I don't know. Um, some of my folks were afraid to share the gospel. And so I took them to a homeless camp. If you go to a homeless camp, homeless people will always let you share the gospel with them. Almost always. And we took some sandwiches. And, and I don't know whether that was an effective ministry or not, but it helped people share the gospel because they had to. Because the only way I was letting them out to go back home was if they shared the gospel. They didn't want to stay there. We need to have a practice. You need to have an idea of what you're going to say. There's a little app that Anya's teaching the kids. If you want to get an app to share the gospel, all right, Life in Six Words by Greg Steer, uh, Dare to Share. It's beautiful. And it's right on your phone. Do you know how many people will say, hey, want to see an app I'm working on? And nobody says no. Hey, want to see an app I'm working on? Yeah, I want to see your app. It's Life in Six Words. G-O-S-P-E-L. Come to Christ through the gospel. And it helps keep you focused so you don't end up talking about cars and cats and groceries and cooking. All right, because you get distracted. All right, and you can practice at the youth group. is practicing on each other. If you want that app, see Anya. She'll show you how to get... She'll put it on your phone for you. Old people, she'll put it on your phone for you. Okay, you don't even have to worry about going to Google Play. All right, she'll do it for you. And get away. Four spiritual laws, the Roman road. Do something and practice something. Jesus had been showing them for years what to do. And what to, they knew what to do. How did they know what to say? They'd been watching and practicing and learning. We need to have a plan too. So we're not just winging it. And pray and then share. What am I sharing? Jesus' story. I'm going to share his story. And I'm going to share part of my story. And then their story will become part of my shared storage story as we progress through. Heavenly Father, thank you for your blessings of the word. Lord, help us to be apostolic in our way, realizing that, that our credential is in God's word and is your son's work. But Heavenly Father, I ask that we would indeed have courage to step that next step to share with people the good news of Jesus Christ, that someone we love will become someone that loves you too. Help us, Jesus, to minister and share you in the way that we go in Christ's name.